Hey friends, super excited to have you joining us on this podcast episode. Just wanted to let you know about a really exciting opportunity we have. It's called the homesteadopenhouse.com. It's a virtual open house of people's homesteads from all over the world. Switzerland, Australia, Israel, all over the United States, British Columbia. We've gathered 26 different homesteaders to go through, give us little 15-minute clips of what's working on their homestead. Some of them are doing multiples. Some are doing just one or two. Everything from alternative energy to black soldier flies to gardening and regenerative agriculture, everything in between. Um, would love to have, have you join us. It's the homesteadopenhouse.com. It's just $9 to join. Uh, it starts March 14th through the 17th. We'll have a live Q&A on the 17th. But yeah, join us and uh, enjoy this new episode. Thank you. And you don't have to learn how to use the whole part of the animal. Now I render down my tallow from the cow that we put in the freezer and that's all I cook with. It's not only healthier, I found out, than other oils, but I'm using a part that would just be buried in the ground, Mm. uh, essentially. So it's become a really sustainable way. And I know people don't see eating meat and farming meat as sustainable, but for me, it is as part of my my regenerative agriculture side of things, mm-hmm. having cows is part of regeneration of the land. Absolutely. And if I'm going to eat meat, then I'm going to eat the whole animal. And if I can't eat something like the liver because I'm not quite there yet, then I'm <laughs> going to feed that to my dog because he needs to eat as well. Welcome to the Schoolhouse Life Podcast, where we believe that life is a schoolhouse. Totally. We're super dorks with a passion for sharing our love of homeschooling, homesteading, natural health care, plant medicines, natural childbirth, healthy eating, meditation, creative endeavors, overall self-sufficiency for the whole family. Oh, and don't forget self-development and spirituality. Oh, of course. Key players. We hope you'll be inspired to do things you haven't, try things that could make your life better. And mostly, we want to encourage you to never stop learning and let your life be a schoolhouse too. It's me, Lacey. I am here today with my friend Natalie of Living the Dream Permaculture. She was actually one of the experts in our Homestead Open House, which her contributions were just amazing. She does a lot of really beautiful things on her farm in Australia. So she's tuning in from around the globe. She really couldn't be farther away, but I'm so excited to introduce her to you and have you get to know her a little bit more. So Natalie, without me going on and on, I would love to hear your story sort of from the beginning. And the first question is always you know, what did your childhood look like? And, you know, how did that evolve into the lifestyle that you lead now? Okay, so my childhood saw me growing up in the suburbs, but my uncle had a hobby farm um, a couple of hours away and we used to visit him a few times a year. And I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed hanging out with the animals. I enjoyed the freedom and the space because I had no one else to play with. I was basically an only child because everyone else were adult, like every other child cousins, siblings, but adults at that stage. So that was always fond for me. And then I met my husband at 19 and we started talking about what our future might look like and what we might want to, where we might want to live. And we decided that we would love to live on a farm just for the lifestyle. Yes, we would have a veggie patch. Yes, we would have a few animals, but it was never the self-sufficient dream that we have and that we're living now. Um, He grew up on 20 acres, so he knew what the hobby farming life was like. He knew how to look after sheep and chickens and all that sort of stuff that I hadn't experienced before. 
And then about 18 months later, we went on our honeymoon. We traveled around Australia and we popped into his old hometown, which is on the other side of Australia to us. And we stayed with his mate on a self-sufficient farm. And they were self-sufficient because they had to be. They were in the middle of nowhere and they couldn't simply pop to the shop for bread and veg and eggs and stuff like that. So they had to do it all themselves. And it was here that I really was inspired to live self-sufficiently, to do it ourselves. And he opened my eyes to industrialized agriculture because I'd never dive deeper before I was only 21 so I'd never kind of given given it much thought there was nothing to think about if I wanted food I went to the supermarket and he taught me about heirloom seeds and GMO seeds and so I became really inspired and we weren't far off coming home we were you know a couple of months away from returning home and so when we did we started urban farming in our it was a large urban backyard but we started urban farming there We had a third of an acre. It was Western facing, which here in Australia is the worst way you could grow food. (laughs) So we got very little sun. We had a heap of gum trees in the backyard, which suck up all the water, invade, the roots invade everything. But we still gave it a go. We still grew what we could and learned a lot of things from all the mistakes that we made. A couple of years later, we moved to a different suburban house. Um, We needed to renovate a few houses to be able to fund um, a farm. So the the dream was always there, but we had to do some things first. Um, So the second house uh, we moved to was much smaller, the block of land. It was 720 square metres, which is about an eighth of an acre. And uh, we started farming in the front. So my front yard was a veggie patch. So we could have some backyard space for the dog, for the kids. And we had about eight fruit trees there, I think. So it took us six years to finish the renovation. And those six years were spent really investing time into not only practically learning how to grow food, but also, you know, researching as much as I could, whether that's books or YouTube or Instagram or um, blogs, uh, whatever I could, I would research. So regenerative agriculture organic farming, key lime farming, um, permaculture. And we were really blessed. Let's look at positives here. Um, <laughs> we had some really bad neighbors move in next door. Oh no. And I couldn't and I couldn't sleep anymore. They would just they would they would go out and start partying at 10 at night and they wouldn't stop till eight in the morning. And I was exhausted. I was sleeping on the couch. I was depressed. I was frustrated. We had spent all this time and money to renovate a house. It was beautiful and I couldn't enjoy it. And so I said to my husband, I can't do this anymore. We need to sell. And so we fit in a couple of years worth of renovations in three months and we sold our home so we could buy a farm. And so that's where the positive comes out of that story. Um, Yeah, I love that. (laughs) And so here we are, we're on 54 acres and we continue to learn every day. And we are now fully self-sufficient and don't have any noisy neighbors <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness it's like you don't even think about how your neighbor could ruin your life but it's true, right it's true wow yeah <laughs> it was really bad but if they didn't move in we could potentially still be in suburbia and that would have been COVID last year then we, that we would have been ready to sell if we went on my timeline yeah. and we wouldn't have been able to sell and we wouldn't have been able to afford, afford a farm because farms here have skyrocketed in price they're really scarce yeah. and if there is one for sale there's so much competition so yeah. without that we wouldn't be here 
<laughs> there is, there's a big move, you know, even, you know, in the States, I think maybe just globally for people to find a little homestead and be able to kind of eke out a little bit more self-sufficiency. So I think you're right. We're seeing that too. The cost of land is going up and yeah. So, wow. Well, that's fun. And yeah, what a God thing. Like, isn't that funny? He kind of moved in next door and said, get out of here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was, it was intense while we were there. And very, like I said, I was very depressed about it because I was sleeping on the couch and I'd never had no sleep yeah Yeah. that's rough (laughs) but if if that didn't happen and yeah it was meant to be yeah it was very much meant to be it hindsight is so much clearer and yeah I love that (laughs) my second question is what are your farming goals and I know a little bit about what you do and you're bartering and you're really able to kind of not even need to buy groceries and not even really need to buy things other than a few staples. I mean, I think that that's really impressive. So please tell our listeners a little bit about that and um, what that looks like for you. Okay. So like I said, when we moved here, the goal was to be self-sufficient and uh, I was really, uh, I'm a jump in head first sort of person. Like I, I don't do things by halves. It's now go. Um, so we came here, we had a small veggie patch, which isn't that small, but for me it was because I wanted an acre veggie patch, <laughs> which has been downsized now, realistic. <laughs> and I was frustrated because I was still relying on the supermarket quite heavily. And we moved here in winter, so it's harder to grow in winter. But even the first summer, I was frustrated at how much I was still purchasing from the supermarket because we live 30 minutes away and I'd only go once a fortnight. So I'd buy what we needed as a family and then the garden would produce something and I wouldn't give that priority because I'd bought something and I didn't want to waste the money I'd spent on buying this food mm-hmm. and so that was our first year-ish about 15 months and I decided that to make the changes I need I needed to just say no to the supermarket so it was the beginning of spring that we started our challenge of only eating what we grew what we foraged for what we bartered for or what we bought with the funds we could make from selling our excess produce. So that really um, gave me the kickstart I needed to shift away from everything I'd, I'd ever known. I've only ever known shopping for food and it is a habit and it's a reliance. And to break that habit and reliance, I needed to do something really significant and crazy. <laughs> So we started eating things I would not usually eat, like cauliflower leaves. They're really delicious. Are they? Yeah. And, you know, you spend so long growing a cauliflower, it can take nine months to grow from seed. And you get this tiny head and it doesn't offshoot like broccoli. And so you've given so much space to this tiny little head, but you've got all these leaves around it. So the ribs taste like cauliflower and the greens taste like any other greens. I would probably link it to collards or the ashes of the cabbage to cook them. Yeah. You pop them in a stew or a soup or a stir fry and you've got all this extra food that would usually go to the compost. Yeah. Things like radish seed pods. I don't really like radishes, but I grow them. Um, (laughs) And when they, (laughs) and when they go to seed, um, they create these really fat pods and they're not as harsh as a radish. They're not as spicy. And you can pickle them or eat them fresh, um, but they still have that slight radish flavor to them. Yeah. And they're much more abundant than the tiny root. You get, you know, a, a, a small bowl full oh, wow. of the seed pods. Oh. Things like garlic scapes, and I suppose you could do the same for leek scapes. Someone mentioned they do that with garlic chive scapes. Mm-hmm. Really great spring treat to liven up a meal. Mm-hmm. And so we came into this, this challenge in spring 
and I hadn't had anything preserved in the cupboard yet. I didn't have a great amount growing in my garden yet, but we still managed to create nutritious meals and every meal from the farm and from the garden. Wow. And then we coupled that with foraging. So we have lots of wild fruit trees around us, lots of apples, plums, peaches, nectarines, um, if you're lucky and you keep your eyes open. <laughs> Mushrooms, we have, you know, deer and rabbits and yeah, lots of things that we can forage for around us. I'm sure I'm missing a few things. Blackberries are another thing that we have here. And then I get asked about the bartering side a lot because... People are really curious about how they can get that going for themselves. And I never asked anyone for anything. So that's the thing I get asked the most is how do you ask people for stuff? Because I'm not an asker Mm -hmm. and that makes me really uncomfortable. We never, ever went to someone and said, hey, can, do you have extra this? Can we give you what we've got surplus? Because yes, that would make us both, my husband and myself, both really uncomfortable. It just stemmed from conversations about how we're living and about our life. People hear that we live on a farm. And the first question is, are you self-sufficient? And I find that odd, but that's the first question I get asked. And I'll be like, well, yeah, actually we are living self-sufficiently, but we forage and we barter our excess. And from that, they're like, oh, that's really cool. Would you like this? And then I would barter whatever I have excess. And I've created, I can't even count how many relationships have been formed just from an open, honest conversation about how we're living. And then the last aspect is selling our excess. So something like garlic. Garlic is my cash crop. I grow a couple of thousand bulbs a year. Mm -hmm. And then I sell them now at this time of year, it's autumn here. Mm -hmm. And those funds go towards things like salt and sugar and spices and vinegar, oils, grains, and legumes. And that's probably all that I buy. Chocolate, coffee um, (laughs) will be the others. (laughs) And that's about all that we do to rely on the supermarket. Now that the year challenge is over, we're about 18 months in, maybe a bit more. I've incorporated pasta and noodles. Sure, there was one more thing. But pasta just for ease, quick meals, where I was making it before, I still had to buy the flour. So I was like, well, it's... It's probably cheaper to buy the pasta and it's really quick and convenient to just pull out a packet. And so I allow myself that luxury. <laughs> <laughs> I think that it's interesting because, you know, I think there's like a, a, like a revolving door of self-sufficiency. It's really nice to be able to do it for yourself. Right. But we don't mm-hmm. have to torture ourselves. Like it's okay to buy the <laughs> pasta, right? We can buy the pasta. And if you had a bumper crop of garlic, then celebrate with pasta. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I love that. Um, and and we're able to sell, you know, we have a couple of produce boxes that we sell a week to okay. support some other local okay. families, whether we sell that or just gift it, but that also then funds things during the year. I love that. So actually I have a question about, because I know you have animals. Can you talk a little bit yes. about the animals that you have on your property and, and sure. what does it look like um, not buying meat from the store? Okay. So the animals that we have, we have... 17 head of cattle. We run them not only on our property, but our neighbors. So they moved up from inner Melbourne just before the pandemic hit. So they were very lucky. Um, It was just a holiday house, but now it's permanent. So they don't know how to use their land and nor do I think they really want to um, yet. So that's been really handy. So they've got another 40 acres that we kind of manage with the cattle. And then we've got, it depends on the time of year, but between 30 to 50 sheep, five pigs, a bunch of chickens, ducks, and geese. Prior to moving to the farm, I had, and prior to our honeymoon, so as a child, I, I ate home-killed meat, but I didn't know about it. I didn't know I was eating it um, because I had this real thing. When, when we visited my uncle's farm, I had this real thing about eating an animal that I'd met. 
<laughs> You're not, the this is actually why I wanted this topic to come up because I think a lot of people struggle and it's important, I think, to talk about. So keep, continue on. <laughs> Meat came in a plastic tray yep. from the supermarket and you have no connection to who they were. And so there's this real separation of food, animal and pet and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, going on, going to that, like, kind of illustrates what you're saying. I mean, when you get a pack of ground meat from the store, you could potentially be buying pieces of like 400, 500 different cows all in one package because they process them all together. And I, and even just thinking about that is like, oh, that's kind of weird. You know, that doesn't feel right. You know, like you're eating a little bit of a whole herd of cattle. Anyway, yeah, yeah keep going knowing your meat and also there I'd love to add in that you have no idea how these animals were raised this is not something I thought about when you think about a cow Mm. you think about them in a green lush paddock having the time of their life like a cow's supposed to but Mm. when you dig deeper that's not true and so when we came back from our honeymoon and I was starting to research industrialized agriculture I was learning about the horrors of manufactured foods and that includes your meat it's not just processed meat but it's the way that they're raised and treated and all that sort of stuff so if that's something you're interested yeah we've learned so much too about the nutritional value of meat that is grown on green pastures versus meat that's grown in a facility you know where they're fed corn it has an impact health for so many different reasons but first of all what they're eating I mean so even if you don't care if the cow had a good life you know you're still not getting a good healthy product yeah and Michael Pollan's books are what really opened my eyes to that and then Michael Pollan led me to Joel Salatin and then that's where that kind of journey went and that was straight after our honeymoon so really awesome if you're wanting to start your knowledge bank Start with Michael Pollan because he does it in a really fun, educational way, lots of knowledge, writes beautifully, and then you'll go to, you'll just naturally follow to Joel Salatin and either his books or find him on YouTube. Lots of people have gone to his farm and filmed what he does. So much knowledge and it would just blow your mind. (laughs) So on our honeymoon, we, you know, we're about to pop into Paul's mate's place and just like just as we're about to like get in the car to leave, Paul says to me, "So we'll be eating home cured meat." And I'm like, "I'm not eating no home cured meat." <laughs> and he's like, "Well, if you want to eat while we're there, you're going to be eating home cured meat." And so I was able to experience that, taste that, and see that. Mm. Um, I had met the pigs that we ate a few weeks later, and it was really difficult for me because they're very Aussie blokey blokes don't really yeah care about anyone's feelings like so they've got this pig lined up and I'm just like just let me go inside like I got out of the car with his girlfriend I'm like just let me get in the house I don't want to see this and he didn't even listen like he just pulled the trigger I was like oh my gosh introduction to growing your own food (laughs) um so that was really confronting to me but I was able to taste that pork and it tasted nothing like I'd ever tasted before and so while it was really harsh and a huge shock and really uncomfortable. I saw the benefits in an animal not having to leave the property they grew up on. Mm. Um, in taking control of your own food and processing your own food. Mm-hmm. And the end result was just, like I said, it was just completely different to supermarket pork. And it was some time later that we were able to do our own. It was 10 years later 
yeah, 10 years later, we flew him out so he could teach us how to sort out our own sheep. Nice. In that time, I had become okay with eating our own meat because I was buying pasture raised, I was buying grass fed, and that was really expensive and difficult to get. Mm-hmm. I would have to find a small producer and they weren't close to me. So it was really difficult to source that. So I was really excited about having that control and the ability to do that ourselves. So when it came time to put it, you know, a, a, a a ram in the you know ram lamb in the freezer I didn't have I was there when it died which I wanted to be because I didn't want to take it for granted Mm -hmm. I had seen this lamb being born and I didn't want to become complacent and privileged Mm -hmm. in not appreciating every part of the animal that we had to work with so I think that's such a good word too because it's such a like common a common word this idea of privilege um, right now is getting thrown around a lot and I really feel like what you just said is very clear definition of privilege is the ability to, to kind of ignore the hard parts, to be able to turn away and, and, and have something, whether you're willing to do the hard things or not. And there is a hard part. I mean, killing is hard. It's not, it never gets fun. It's never like the fun part. Right. But it is a necessary part. And I think that you're in, in being aware and also being there, being present for that is it changes you on a kind of fundamental level that I think society is really suffering from the effects of not having to, from the privilege of, of being able to look away from that process, you know, and get meat anyway, right? right? So. And that, that's why we eat so much meat. I know that Americans eat slightly more meat than Australians, but we still eat a, a heck lot of meat here right. in Australia. Yeah. Um, you know, every meal is meat heavy and there's a large proportion of meat on the plate. And is that because it's easy because we can just go and buy it? Is that because we don't have to take that responsibility and that control? And is that because we don't have to walk into our own paddocks and select an animal to put in the freezer? Mm. Um, There's so many variables there. And I was guilty of that. I mean, when we lived in suburbia, I bought the cuts that I wanted to buy. I didn't use the cuts that were harder to use or... right. I didn't know how to cook or, or stuff, stuff like that. You have this selection and you don't have to learn how to use the whole part of the animal. Now I render down my tallow from the cow that we put in the freezer and that's all I cook with. It's not only healthier, I found out, than other oils, but um, I'm using a part that would just be buried in the ground, mm. um, essentially. So it's, it's become a really sustainable way. And I know people don't see eating meat and farming meat as sustainable but for me it is in it's, as part of my my regenerative agriculture side of things mm-hmm. having cows is part of regeneration of the land Absolutely. and if I'm going to eat meat then I'm going to eat the whole animal and if I can't eat something like the liver because I'm not quite there yet then I'm <laughs> going to feed that to my dog because he needs to eat as well and you know <laughs> yes why not <laughs> And not wasting, but I think, yeah, we've just hit on like a major thing. And I mean, this, the term sustainable is thrown around and there's nothing sustainable about how we farm corn either, but nobody's like putting corn, you know, like there's nothing sustainable about a lot of the things that we do, but the truth is we need yeah. to just get back and fundamentally do it in a sustainable way. And I think that's possible. I mean, clearly look, yeah. <laughs> it is. If, if more people start researching. Yes. And I think research is a big part of it because it's really easy to turn a blind eye and be like, oh, don't need to worry about that because I'm, I don't know. And if I don't know, I don't have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. That's all good and well, but you can't, you can't then go, oh, I'm not going to use plastics. Well, it's just, I mean, plastics is really bad. Don't get me wrong, but you can't be like, oh, I'm all zero, zero waste and eco and sustainable when you're 
deciding to not think about another thing that (laughs) could be if you are a meat eater yes um, right yeah and being aware (laughs) of making a choice in another direction is totally reasonable but I think that yeah as a meat eater you should be willing or or maybe push yourself to the place where you see and experience what it takes to get that meat on your plate because it's a big deal so veggies too (laughs) yes of course yeah we can't just pick and choose it's the same with soy soy is used in a lot of feeds Mm -hmm. but a lot of forest is being cleared for soy production so can we think of other ways that we could feed our animals other than a soy crop or a soy crop that's grown somewhere that's had to be just destroyed to grow it well this has been delightful (laughs) people are gonna be (laughs) but I do think what you're doing is really beautiful and I love your you're really calling on the community and you're calling on your ability to network and to have a community that's strong and that you know you're providing something and they're providing something and I think that that's a beautiful just a cultural image that we've come away from and that we can do more to get back to. I mean, even for the sake of, you know, the animals, but for the sake of ourselves, I think having that kind of community makes you feel more important, more connected and, and more, you know, in control of your life. You put, you put your trust in your community instead of, you know, maybe your government or the supermarket or whatever. So yeah, I think it's really beautiful. Um, Okay. So I want to just tell some people how to get and stay in touch with your story. And I know that your Instagram is a beautiful place to watch your story and get great tips. So living the dream permaculture on Instagram, how else can folks stay in touch with you, Natalie? Um, We have a website where I try and write um, during my off season. So that's livingthedreampermaculture.com. And then we also have a YouTube channel where we film parts of our lives, but also um, tips and tricks as well. It's a real mesh of, you know, real life on a farm to how you can do it yourself. And that's Living the Dream Permaculture too. So um, yeah, you can find us in both those places. Okay, so I have one off-topic question that I like to ask everyone, and that is what is something that you like to do to sit back and relax or just to kind of keep yourself being as healthy and whole and well as you can? (laughs) You're laughing. Why are you laughing? You're like, oh, I don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, gardening. (laughs) Gardening is my downtime. There's gardening with change of seasons, which is stressful. Spring and autumn is always full on. But when I need a break, you know, we homeschool our kids, we homework, we work from home. And so we're always here. If I need a break because the kids are fighting or I'm stressed or something's happening, I take my shoes off and I walk into my garden or into my hot house. And that's how I decompress and de-stress. And so it's it's hard because gardening is my my hobby, but it's also my business. But those two worlds really do come together and I really enjoy it. Yeah. Yes, yes it can be hard. <laughs> can be hard because yeah when you turn something into making money then or making you know a living it can be really challenging to still enjoy it but I'm glad you figured out how yeah (laughs) Um, thank you so much for joining us on the call today I can't wait to share this with our (laughs) listeners and and yeah just keep doing what you're doing it's very inspiring and I'm thrilled to have connected (laughs) with you and thank you so much for contributing to the homestead open house which by the way is still available if you're a listener and you haven't yet jumped on that and watch you need to she made Natalie made some wonderful videos and then we had 20 other experts sharing really beautiful just information knowledge and wisdom and so I hope you take advantage but Natalie thanks again thank you so much for having me it was a pleasure (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.